0: Carrie, would you open us up in prayer and pray for Yvette today. She's speaking this morning.
1: Father, I just thank you for this morning, the beautiful morning that it is, Lord, and I just thank you for this opportunity that we have just to come together, Father, and just um, worship you, Lord, and just hear from you this morning. I just pray that our hearts and our minds, Father, would just be focused and fixed upon you, Lord, and I do lift up Yvette this morning to you, God, as she is sharing this morning, God, and um, I just pray, Father, that you would just equip her, Father, that you would strengthen her, that you would focus her mind this morning, Lord, and I pray for those that are, are hearing this morning um, that it, there would be a ripe harvest this morning, God, and you um, just continue to lift up Gilda as she is away and preparing to come home tomorrow, Father, and just pray that you would just be with her and uh, give her safe travels home tomorrow, Lord, and, just, uh, just again, just uh, protect our time together this morning, Lord. I just pray, Father, that we would have uh, just open hearts. The hearts would be good soil, Lord, and that we would be able to just block out anything, Father, that would come to distract, Father, and that we would just be able to just sit in Your presence and receive this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. amen.
2: say
3: We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be like you, and we want to touch those who need a touch. We want to serve those like you served. We want to pour out our lives on the altar of sacrifice, of giving, of holiness, laying our lives down for you, God. tonight, we're asking you, give us compassion. Give us compassion for the needy. Like Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he saw them. Scripture says his heart was moved with compassion. Move us, God, with your compassion. Deep on the inside of us to touch the needy. To touch the weary. To embrace those who need you. To embrace the unlovely of society. The generation that is lost. We want to embrace them we embrace of God give us the passion and compassion
0: God, your word says that your will is that none would perish. Father, I thank you that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son Jesus. So, Father, as we come today to open up your word, Father, reveal yourself to us yet again, drawing us closer to you, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you. Father, that we wouldn't look to the right or to the left. Father, may we not continue to look behind. But God, may we look forward as you lead us along the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us not to get entangled in the cares of this world. but Help us to live victorious in Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning to everyone. Okay. We're heading to the book of Judges before we head to Mark. So if you all can turn to Judges chapter 7. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> and it's interesting how this these verses came to me this week as I was out walking and praying God reminded me of this account that is captured for us in Scripture of Gideon's army you see they were about to go to war the enemy was pressing in And we must remember, as we've talked a lot about here, is that God's plan, if you open up the the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals His plan to us, that His purpose and His hope is to have a people that He will call His own, and in that, they in return will call Him their God. And I've been encouraging us that we need to be a people who are living for Christ. Not of people who hold a form of religion and deny his power. There's a lot of people out there doing that. But what the world needs to see is people who are truly living for their God. Putting their faith and putting their hope in God. And in God alone. It's easy as we live in this world to get consumed with circumstances. With the outer influences of life that come and press up against us. Oh, but we must remember, as believers, that we have hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Here we find Gideon in his army. At this time, God has selected the Israelites, if you would, as his people. Because he had to bring the Messiah through, Jesus, which was pronounced in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. The enemy was told that one would come that would crush his head. And so Christ was purposed as we've been learning from the found, before the foundations of the earth was even established. The cross was set forth. But there's a lesson that we can learn throughout the Old Testament as we study the Israelites and their relationship with God. We see them at times drawing real close to God, trusting them with everything. Other times we see them rebelling and getting caught up with the things of this earth. Rejecting God, turning from God, going their way. Oh, but Gideon, he was a man that listened to God. So take a look here. It says about Gideon, verse 1, and his army. They got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian, chapter 7, verse 1. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. And I I want us to hear this line this morning. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. In a moment's time, (laughs) 22,000 Men left the battle. 10,000 remained. And if you noticed, God knows the hearts of His people. He knew that if all of them were to fight, that they would boast in themselves. And the question is this morning, who are you boasting in? In yourself or in God? Especially when times are rough. Are you depending upon yourself to get yourself through? Or have you truly learned to depend on God? To trust in Him and in Him alone? It's easy for us to depend on ourselves. Or it's also easy for us to depend on others. To get us through. But let me tell you something. As believers, our hope is not in man. Our hope needs to be in God. He's the only one that can see us through. And it's God's will that we wouldn't boast of our own strength ah, as we were listening to worship this morning. No, we are to be a people who are submitted, humbly submitted to God. That we're to live lives as, he's, as He lived. You know, Jesus is the greatest servant. So who are we to think as His people that we're going to be greater than those that we're called to serve? Or even greater than the one who is the greatest servant? No, He calls us to live a life as He lived on sir. To serve others. To love others. To allow others to know of His great love for them. That He came to seek and to save the lost. To free us from ourselves. Being ruled by sin. By our own desires. And we've been talking a lot about that lately. You know the Bible and we've talked about it in Galatians. That we're to consider that old nature. Those old desires nailed to the cross and crucified there. Remember your Christian life is not about living a perfected life. Or a perfect life. It's about living a life that is maturing. That is growing. In Christ. God knew. I can't have all of you fight. Because you are only boasting yourself. 10,000 remained. Verse 4, But the Lord told Gideon, There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cut water in their hands and lapped it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. You still have too many, Gideon. We've got to get it to a place when people look at this battle, they don't see you, they see me. Remember, the Israelites were known throughout their time, not by who they were, but by the God they said that they served. And I've been challenging us as believers the focus shouldn't be on us. The focus should be on God. In fact, the other nations were not afraid of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, they weren't afraid of the Israelite army. They were afraid of the God. That the Israelites served. Now we see here, God is, is setting the stage to reveal himself. Divide them up, Gideon. The ones who would kneel down at the stream, cup their hands, and lap out of it like a dog. Compared to the ones who would come to the stream and put their face down and begin to drink. If you study through this, the commentaries talk about how they marched in the heat of the day. I want you to think about their environment, the heat that was pressing in on them. And and, and not just the the physical aspects of the heat, but maybe even the emotional toll that it's taking. They knew they were going to face a great enemy. And 22,000 men just left. How are we going to be victorious when our army is dwindling? You know, same with us. We can start having thoughts and we we can get from point A to point Z in a second. And when we start focusing on our circumstances... We can become anxious. We can become overwhelmed. We can get into so much stuff that's out there, but we must remember that is how the old nature lived. If you are a Christian this morning, you need to learn to grow and mature into the newness of life. You are a new creation, not of the old. God said, Gideon, divide them up. And Look at this. Verse 6, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Here's another thought I made note of today. What is your position? One of desperation or one that is remaining alert and self control The men who kneeled down took cut the water and lap, they were practicing self-control. They were practicing that they were remaining alert. They knew what they were facing. Uh, The other men gave in to the temporalness desire they needed to quench their thirst. And they had a moment, and they gave in, and they lost sight of maintaining self-control. And remaining alert. See, in times of trouble, in times of testing, in times where it feels like you're up against an enemy, oh, it's not time to become desperate in the things and trying to meet the need in your own life. That will destroy you. No, that's the time to remain alert. That's the time, as Scripture says, to be as innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Well, that's not time to give in, to, just to meet your, your desires within. No, it's time to remain still and know that He is God. The need was met. But my focus is not so much on my need as it still is on my God. 300 of them were left, you all. <laughs> the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, and I'm going to end in verse nine, and I would just encourage you, if you want to see how this ends, read through the whole chapter. but I want to touch on verse nine because I want something I want something to be laid out today as we're heading into our our study, is that obedience will always lead you to victory. Obedience will always lead you to victory. Trust in the Lord with all all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Are you obeying this morning? Are you obeying? Because look at here, verse 9. That night the Lord said, get up! Go into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over And yet again, we see another account within uh, the the Word of God. That the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And if you're sitting here today as a believer, that's the hope you've had. And if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, then I'm not sure what's keeping you from coming to God. Because He is revealing Himself to you. The struggles and the things that you're facing in life is not the battle for you to do alone. God has sent the one, his only son, to come, to set us free, so that we can trust in him, and in him alone. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. I wanted to hit on this scripture, because I'm going to have Melissa share with us after this portion of scripture before we head into Mark. I met with Melissa yesterday, and I was really encouraged to hear how God has been ministering to her. And I was thinking back over the years, and I don't even know how long it's been, Melissa, that we've known each other. Eight years. Eight years. Eight years. I don't know how many of you kids have grown I was was even sharing with Debbie this morning, like the first time that you and I met, she was a hardened woman, hardened, life was beating her up on every side, in my first conversation I looked at her and the first thing she wanted to lay out for me was that she didn't trust me. said to her, Melissa, it's not about trusting me. Don't trust me. But trust in the one that I'm going to tell you about. That's my hope for you. And I've watched Melissa grow throughout the years. And so when I was sitting with her yesterday, she was sharing with me what took place this week and how God had been ministering her. And I said, Melissa, you've got to share with everyone today share what god is doing because this is a testimony you know the word of god says that we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb jesus and the word of our testimony are you testifying today about the goodness of your god or are you speaking more about your problems in life Listen, it's easy to get caught up in the life struggles, but I'm telling you, we got to grow, we got to mature, we got to get up from just feeling sorry for ourselves and allowing our struggles to define us. We as believers have got to start being defined by the one in whom we are calling on. And in Colossians chapter 2, <clears throat> I lost my place, give me one second, let me get there. <clears throat> Verse 6, This talks about this new life, allowing your roots to grow down. And that was this picture, as Melissa was sharing with me yesterday, that I was seeing. Her roots are growing down into her belief and her faith in Christ. And it's beginning to, to bring forth this newness of life. It's beginning to transform her mind, because we've talked about this over and over. In Romans it says, how does God transform us? By changing the way we think. By renewing our minds. Listen, we've got to get beyond the old thought pattern. We've got to start getting into the new thought pattern. How are we to live? And listen, y'all, as Christians, it's not about rules and laws and do's and don'ts. Because when it becomes that for you, then all you're doing is maintaining the law, religion. And religion will never change you. Religion will burden you. And when you become burdened under religion, you will pull away from God. Because you will always see yourself as unworthy. I'm just not meeting the mark. Listen, it is about a relationship, this new life that in and of yourself you did not accomplish. Christ accomplished it on the cross. And so your hope is in Christ to bring forth the newness of life. That's why the Word of God talks about that this new life in which you live is not dependent upon yourself. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. See, when you become a believer, you receive the Holy Spirit. And you are now to live a life that does not grieve the Holy Spirit. And the church needs to be awakened in our generation today. That we've got to get up from playing the religious games, the church games. No, we've got to start living this life that lines up with God's truth. Not because we're forced to, but because we chose to. Friday night, I said something that's been sticking with me. That submission comes when great love is displayed. You can't force someone to submit. You could, but it's not true submission. True submission is when great love is displayed. That's why men are challenged in the church, and they should continue to be challenged, to love your wives. Christ loved the church Women don't settle for men Who are not loving Jesus Because they will never really know, know how to love you They will never see the value And the worth that Christ has In you Don't settle For men who do not honor Christ Because they will never honor you They will only see you For the templeness of life why would you settle for that? See, women aren't to be forced to submit. Marriage is a picture of the relationship with Jesus and the church. And when we give our lives to Jesus, it's because his great love was displayed. He's not forcing us. No, you just willingly go, how could I not submit to you? So it doesn't become rules and laws and do's and don'ts. It's not a burden. It's, no, I just desire. And as it is in marriage. We're first to tell the women to submit. Oh, but we got to stop that. Men have got to start being men in this generation. That know how to, to love the women. To honor them. To love their wives. As Christ loved the church. Men should not be demanding. Christ wasn't demanding. No, he came to serve serve and so again let your roots grow down deep it's not about being a perfect Christian but you ought to be a maturing Christian look what the word of God says here in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 it says and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord you must continue to follow him listen I've been telling you all over and over it's not just a one time prayer It's a lifestyle. There's a lot of people who are just praying a prayer and getting up and rebelling still against Jesus. You can't love Jesus and remain in rebellion towards Him. That's not how it works. I know that's what's given to people. I know that's the gospel that's being peddled out there. Oh, but we have to realize there's an enemy that will love nothing more than to devalue devalue you and strip you of the newness in which Christ came to offer you. Read through the New Testaments, all the letters to the churches. The churches are constantly being reminded, grow up. Grow up, mature in your faith. Don't go this way, don't go that way. No, stay focused on the gospel that was presented to you that you received. You've got to remain focused. And I love what it says here. You must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him. And let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's why it's vital, you all, that you all are in church, that you all are in fellowship. You're not going to grow on your own out there. Jesus had established the church for a reason. The church is to be a place that you are to be built up, encouraged, and edified. You're building relationships. You're doing lives together. You're just living with each other. You're encouraging each other. You're holding each other accountable. No, don't go that way. Remember who you are now. That's how we serve one another. No one's better than anyone else. We're not to be fighting for position. We're not to be bickering and tearing each other down. We're not to be displaying the vision. Uh, because the word says that how are the lost going to know that we belong to him? By our love for one another. You get a group of a bunch of broken people. <laughs> and you can bring them together and they can start learning how to do life together. Their lives are transforming. I know I once was, but I'm not any longer. You start allowing to see that to be testified and people will take notice. And let your roots grow down deep. And then it goes on, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from the human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Listen, there's a lot of teachings out there today. But I've warned you all, if you're hearing a teaching that gives you the right to yourself, you better run from it. It's not the gospel. Remember, Jesus came and he preached repentance. Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. If you're going to follow me, Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You must consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. Don't be moved by because someone sounds very spiritual. Don't be moved by their wordings, how elaborate they are and how well, you know, polished that they are. Don't be moved because if it's not the truth, don't follow it. Don't follow it. Don't be moved by all these new waves and stuff that try to hit the church with all these false teachings that go, that are contrary to God's truth. It says, when you came to Christ, in verse 11, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, in in the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him when you were raised to a new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Jesus or Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Oh, that's good news. And the church ought to say, Amen. Because listen, we keep talking about this. Your old nature, you are to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. You're not to be following the old. You're not the product of the fall anymore. You're not to remain in rebellion any longer. And listen, we talk to Again, it's not about being perfect and that's, oh, you're never going to sin. No, when you do sin, you just live differently than you did when you were before Christ. Because before Christ, you were just running amok, sinning, doing whatever you want. It was defining you. It's who you were. But in Christ, when you fall, when you sin, and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you get up and you turn from and you repent, the newness of life continues to come forth. It springs forth that you're not to remain the same any longer. You see, your sinful nature has been defeated. The enemy, I know we like to blame a lot of the stuff on the enemy, uh, but the enemy has no control over a Christian. All he has is the control that you give him. Mm-hmm. Because the Word of God says, don't give the enemy a foothold. You give him a foothold, he'll develop a stronghold.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that stronghold is a, is a pattern of thinking that is contrary to God's truth, and you'll go his way mm-hmm. instead of going God's way. Come on, we got to wake up to this understanding. Wait a minute, mm-hmm. we serve a victorious God. How do you see the God in whom you say you're serving? Is he victorious? Is he alive? Has he defeated sin and death? If so, then start experiencing the victory that is in Christ. It says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holidays or new moon ceremonies or the Sabbath. For these rules are only shadows of the reality to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Don't let another condemn you because of what you eat or drink or rather you keep the Sabbath or not. Don't make it about all these rules and laws and do's and don'ts. Trying to, in your own strength, remain holy. (laughs) No. And be careful again of the teachings that that you're hearing. Chasing after angels instead of chasing after Jesus. (laughs) Listen, when religion puts something between you and Jesus, it's not true religion. It's not true faith in Christ. Whatever that something may be, if you have to accomplish something or get through someone else to get to Jesus, if that's what you're being taught, look what the Word of God says. They are not connected to Christ careful the teachings that we're following verse 20 you have died with christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world so why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle don't taste don't touch such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Listen, we've talked about it, and I said it earlier, in Galatians, our evil desires, those desires are within, all we are to do is consider them nailed to the cross and crucified there. Nailed to the cross and crucified there. I can't try within myself to, to, to keep all of them down. No, I just got to consider them defeated. Trying to live a pious life, trying to all these self-denials and, and doing all this stuff that's making it look like you're doing in your own strength will never amount to anything. You will be tormented and defeated constantly. Listen, y'all, it's really when you just lay your life down. And you're real with Jesus. (laughs) Like, God, you know my old nature. God, you have given me the victory over it. Now, God, help me to walk in that victory. I'm still having issues with this. I'm having issues with that. Whatever it may be. Get among fellowships. Start being discipled on what it means to live as a Christian. To walk and, and to talk and to serve as one who says they're following Christ. It's the only way to live, you all. And that's why I was so encouraged yesterday when I was sitting down with Melissa, a woman eight years ago who stood with such hardness of heart. And I've watched her throughout the years grow. And yesterday I saw a woman who is becoming a lady of, of peace, a lady of purpose, a lady that has allowed herself to say, I want my roots to grow down deep. So Melissa, come and and share with us what you shared with me yesterday, please. Um, It's
5: scary. So forgive me. Um, I just asked God this, this week. I asked God to blind me for my eyes and let me see through His eyes. And through everything that happened this week and everything... Um he did just that. And one night I was I was I had the Bible in my hand. I said God, give me what you need me to hear today. And let me run with it and praise the body. and this is what he gave me. Um second Corinthians six and it says as God oh, As God's partner, and as, as we've learned our identity in church, that right there just broke me. He's like, I'm God's partner. We beg you not to accept this marvelous, marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, All just the right time, oh, I'm sorry, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation. I helped you. Mm -hmm. Indeed. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Mm -hmm. We live. We live in such a way. That no one will stumble. Because of us. And no one will find fault. With our ministry. In everything we do. We show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardship. And. Humanities of every kind. We have been beaten. Been put in prison. Faced angry mobs. Worked to Exemption. Sorry. Endured sleepless nights. And gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity. Our understanding. Our patience. Our kindness. By the Holy Spirit within us. And by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us and I. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slaughter us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposers. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our heart aches, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, dear Colossian family, friends, we have spoken honestly with you. And our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love in our heart. But you have withheld your love from us. Mm. I am asking you to respond. As if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be, be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can be there between God's temple and idols? For we are the temples of the living God. As God said, Melissa, True Freedom Fellowship, will live in them and work amongst them. I will be their children, uh, sorry, their God and there will be my people. Therefore, come out from amongst unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their folly things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty.
1: Thank you, Melissa.
0: That's a huge step for her to be able to share this morning. I think it's a huge challenge. But I thank God that you were able to. And as she was reading that to me yesterday, she personalized it. She was putting her name in there. And she was remembering all that God has done and is doing still in her life. She asked God to speak, and He spoke. It's a powerful chapter. Mm -hmm. Reminding his daughter, Melissa, this is who I am, this is who you are. Remember this. You see, no one can take your testimony away from you. Rather they believe it or not, no one can take it away from you. But the sad thing is, is that you can put it aside and forget. Mm -hmm. Why would you? would you forget what God has done and is doing in your life there is a way in which you are to live as a Christian and it's not because man says it, no because that's how God leads you your life is to honor him you're not to be partakers of, of the filth you're to be partakers of his righteousness go to Mark chapter 6 and as you're turning there Let me remind you, and we'll get to as much as Mark 6 as we can today. But let's remember why Mark wrote this gospel. You see, this was a letter that was written to the church that was established in Rome. And we must remember that at this time, Christians were under intense persecution. Christians were being rounded up and in that, they were being crucified throughout the streets and lit on fire at night. They were also being rounded up and, and brought into colosseums so that the Romans can enjoy the entertainment of them being devoured by wild animals. Christians were under intense persecution, and Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this account, this gospel, to encourage them to keep their eyes on the one whom they are calling Lord, Jesus, the Messiah. It's the shortest of the gospels, but yet, Mark doesn't waste time. He knew who he was writing to. He knew he needed to remind them, not just of Jesus' words, but who Jesus was. And so it is today, as the church opens up this book, that we ourselves must be challenged as these believers were challenged to live your life for Christ, no matter your circumstances. Your life in Christ should be your priority. Don't lose sight of His words and who He is. We left off in chapter 5, and in chapter 5 we saw great faith being displayed. We're going to open up in chapter 6 where we're going to see a community of people with no faith. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So let's not forget the city in which he just entered. This is his hometown. They knew Jesus. The problem was, is that they were just remembering him as they knew him. They did not receive him or know him to be the Son of God. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and a brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They refused to believe in him. They were deeply offended. It made no sense to them. Who is he now with all this authority, with such words and performing such miracles? They refuse to be open to the truth. And you know what? It's no different than our generation and the generations to come. People will be offended by Jesus' teachings, by truly who he is, They will scoff at him. They will mock him. They will not accept him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. We've seen Jesus encounter people with such great faith. And he's been amazed by the faith in which they had displayed. But We see here in this city, in his hometown, he's amazed at their unbelief. That Jesus was the to describe your faith among us, would he be able to say you're one of great faith or one of great unbelief? He knows our heart. And I've been challenging you all, as you believe, so you'll live. You want to know where your faith is today? Let's do some real good inventory of your heart. As you live, displays your faith, your belief. Either He's Christ, either He's Lord, either He's God, or He's not. Your faith, your belief, how you're living, testifies to what you believe. And don't be angry at others. Recognize it within yourself, and just repent. Turn to God. I encourage you all the time, too. You want to know how close you are to God? Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. No one else has to tell you what your life looks like in Christ. You yourselves can see it. We've got to stop making excuses, you all. Well, you don't know what they did to me. That's why I reacted. Oh, No, you lost sight of what Christ did for you, and that's why you reacted that way. Because as Christians, we can live peaceable lives. We can practice self-control. We have the Holy Spirit within us. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. We've got to stop making excuses for what we're allowing in. To justify our sin. Remember, that sin nature is to be dead. When it raises its ugly head, remind yourself who you are now and whom you belong to now. You know Listen, I told you all the time, it's not that you're lying to others and pretending to be a Christian. It's that you truly believe you are and you're not because you believe your own lies. And you're making excuses. No, let's be Christians, you all. Let's be people who say, you know what, yes, okay, this went wrong, forgive me. Let's, Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's live lives of faith and belief. Let's allow God to move among us. Don't allow our unbelief to hinder God's work in our lives. God will not force himself on you. And in fact, you keep going after what you want, he turns you over to it if that's what you want to lord over you, if that's what you want to be your God, but in turning us over to it, He's always there reminding us, come back this way. Come back to me. That's why I tell people all the time, why would you choose His wrath over His love? He has displayed such great love to us and yet we will choose rebellion and his wrath over his great love because we want our temporalness met? Listen, we're not to be part of the temporalness of life. No, we're setting our gaze on the eternal aspects of life. So today's the days I want to challenge you. Are you a person of faith or are you a person of great unbelief? And you don't need a preacher or anyone else to tell you. You yourselves know. If your last breath was taken from you now, would you stand in his presence and be received? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or will you here, depart from me, I never knew you. But God, I did this, and God, I went to church, and God, I read my Bible, and God, I did this, I did that, I did this and that. I don't know you. (laughs) You chose not to love me. You gave your affections to others. See, God's great love displayed for all creation to see by Jesus laying his life down. He's not going to force you to love him. He didn't force these people to accept him. He didn't push his agenda and tell them, wait a minute, this is who I am. He didn't didn't push back on them. No, he respected them enough to say, if I'm not welcomed, I'll go. Then Jesus goes on here in verse 6 went from village to village teaching people. And he called his twelve disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but did not take change, not to take a change of clothes. He says, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met, to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick, anointing them with olive oil. So he leaves one town and he begins to visit the others. And now He's allowing His disciples to get a taste, if you would, of what it's going to be like when He won't be among them. But listen to what He just said to them. If they don't receive you, then shake the dust off your feet and leave them to their own fate. Watch your conduct around them. Don't go from house to house. Where you are received, stay. Where you're not, go. Listen, not everybody is going to want to accept Jesus. Not everybody is going to accept you as a Christian. And it's okay they have a right. They have a choice. Jesus himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Listen, we can't expect the world is going to all come together and embrace and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and call everyone a Christian. It's not how it's going to be. Jesus himself said, what, you think I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring division. There will be those who will receive me and those that won't. I will leave them to their own faith. It's their choice. I will reveal myself to them, and He does through His creation. Everything displays His wonderful work, and then He leads the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in the world, not to be in it, but to be not to be of it, but to be in it. We are to go forth representing Him, that others will see that there is hope to overcome. To have peace that surpasses all understanding. That we're not tight-fisted, clinging to the temporalness of life. But we've learned to let it go and just be people of peace, serving and loving one another. Listen, the Bible says that either you will be a fragrance of life to others, or you will be a stench of death. And the reason that you would be a stench to death, because they know that they already stand judged. They will experience God's wrath. And Jesus says, if they don't receive you, if they're not going to receive the message in which you come to proclaim, then don't get irritated and fight them and demand your ways. (laughs)
2: Leave
0: the town. And as you're going, shake the dust off your feet. Take no residue from your encounter with them and leave them to their own fate. Leave them to their own fate. To their own disbelief. But for those that were, that were receiving the message, the fullness of repentance, look at the message in which they were told to go forth and say, to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. To turn from your sins and to turn to God. And then Mark goes right into John the Baptist. Listen, everyone was trying to figure out who Jesus was. Some says he's Elijah. Some says he's a prophet. Herod thought that he was John the Baptist. Who do you say Jesus is? It is a question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they listed everything, but then he looks at them and he says, but who do you say I am? You see, that's when the rubber meets the road. When you yourself really answer that question. Who is he? He can't just be a good man. He just can't be a good teacher. He just can't be a prophet. No, he is the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is whom you're putting your faith in and your hope in and your belief in. And it's transforming you into this newness of life. Listen, I shouldn't be standing up here doing what I'm doing today. In and of myself, if I was living for myself, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be right back with the drinking, the drugs, the sex, and everything else. Doing me. Running me. Chasing after the wind. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I could care less about Jesus. I hated him. The majority of my life, I hated him. I even hated Christians. I hated the fault of him. And today, I love him with everything that I have. Like, oh God. You have delivered me from much. And not for anything of myself. But your word says you loved me, yet though I was a complete rebellion towards you. Such great love is displayed. How could I have not bowed my knee? How could I not have a passion to let others know of his great love for them? That you don't have to be enslaved to all the junk that's out there. That there is hope, that there is freedom. Thousands and millions of people that are dying all around the world. And they're entering into an eternity that is separated from God. And we want to play church. We can't, you all. You may be the only hope that someone has in their life. And that's why you can't keep acting like they act. Because you know better. Because you've heard truth. How are you responding to truth? It says here in verse 14, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's a prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. As it is today, everyone's got opinions about Jesus. They didn't know what to do with Jesus in his time. And Herod, this king, who beheaded John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, he thought, oh man, John the Baptist His back. The guilt and the shame of what he did to a man of God was weighing heavy on him. You see, in verse 17, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife. But Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, "It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife." So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted him killed. But Herod's approval—I'm sorry—but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John. That's interesting. John kept standing in front of Herod, telling him, Herod, the way you're living is wrong. The way you're living is wrong. The way you're living is wrong. And it said Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. He imprisoned him. He respected him. He knew that he was a good, holy man. So he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Listen, there's a lot of people who like, like to be around Christians. They may respect you. They may listen. They may be disturbed by you, but yet somehow they're, keep, they're drawn to you to keep listening to what you're saying. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance and greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. Wow. Imagine King offering that to you. And listen, her little dance wasn't some some nice little ballerina dance. No, it was a very sensual, sexual dance. Sex was running amok as it is today. The men were overwhelmed by what was just displayed before them. Listen, grudges will always lead to destruction. Don't remain bitter and hold grudges. And so then when you get a chance to get someone, you get them. That's not how you live as a Christian. This woman's daughter is about to come back to her. So both both of their names are odious. And she's about to tell her mother, you won't believe what I was just offered. So she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Listen, she didn't ask, oh, ask him to have, you know, up to half of his kingdom. (laughs) Let's make sure you're set, you know. She didn't ask for anything else. She was more concerned about what was in her, her grudge and her bitterness. And she was quick to answer. Notice she didn't give thought. (laughs) She was quick careful to be so quick with decisions that you're making when you start harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. It will always lead to destruction. If not yours, someone else's. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray." The king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. And as I was reading this and thinking about this, it reminded me of, wow, the influence that we have over our children. How we live our lives. What they see in us. What we're demanding of them. Listen, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your junk, can impact the lives of your children. We've got to be careful, you all. They're watching us. They're seeing everything we do. <clears throat> and we influence them. Instead of this mother influencing her daughter for the good, she only saw her chance. To get what she wanted. And she used her daughter. Go ask. For John the Baptist's head. And bring it to me. And she loved her mother so much. She didn't even give thought. Mom if that's what you want. That's what I'll do. Oh God help us you all. For how we influence our children. Now we're about to see three miraculous events. And we're going to close with these. We're going to see Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. We're going to see him walk on water. And we're going to see him heal many sick. He's the Lord of all creation, you all. And there's one thing I've encouraged you all in. Is this. Mankind. Created man. Men and women. You have a right to obey. Or not to obey. But everything else out there. All creation. Has to obey when he speaks. But he's given us. Free will. Choose. Choose. Choose how you're going to live this day. And when he speaks to creation, it has to line up with the order in which he has brought it to. This is the God in whom we serve. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat And listen to this. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't irritate him. They didn't interfere with what he was planning on doing. And he didn't demand them to go their way. I want to be alone with my apostles. No, he looked and He saw them. And He has such great compassion for them. Oh, the compassion of the Lord, you all, when He looks upon us, when He looks upon the, the lost, when He looks upon the broken. He is the great shepherd. He leads His people. And he reveals himself to those that don't belong to him in hopes that they will come to know him. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. Listen, they're overreacting now. Come on, Jesus. There's too many people. It's getting late. Send them their way. And he says, no, don't miss what I'm displaying to you and showing you. You feed them.
1: With what?
0: They asked. We had to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the loaves, the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish For everyone to share, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. Everything was met that day. Every need was met. From the spiritual aspect to the physical aspect. He's a God that cares for the wholeness of a person. He's a God that will provide for the wholeness of the individual. Listen, He's not a God that's just going to leave you out there. No, He's a God that provides all provision. And lastly, this last section Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, where he sent the people home, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. The disciples were on their own. Jesus was praying. And I love this scripture. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Just as he does in our lives. He sees us working so hard as the storms of life are beating us up. And he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. Just as he does here, he did for them, he does for us. He comes. And notice that the disciples were where Jesus wanted them to be. Sometimes life, things that we have to face, are the things we need to go through in order to get to where we're going. In order for God to display his great power among us. Trials come, you all, and they must come. Because that's how you grow. You need to learn as Christians how to deal with your trials. Trials are there to produce something within you. Character, perseverance, character, and hope. And that hope is to be in Christ Jesus alone. Because when your hope is in Him, nothing can disappoint you. Nothing can disappoint you. Trials storms are going to come. Seasons are going to blow in and blow out of your life. There will be seasons of peace, like, oh, everything's kind of good. And then just the next day you wake up, and boom, another season has entered in. And life just seems to be chaos. But listen, your hope is not in the chaos of life. Your hope is in the one who can speak to life and bring order. Don't be moved. Let your roots Grow down deep and keep following him. He looked and saw that they were in need. It says about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended, I like this, to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Do you need to hear that today? Is your life out of control? If there's issues going on, then you need to hear the word of the Lord tell you, don't be afraid. And not just don't be afraid, but take courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And they had crossed the lake. They landed in Gerson. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus as at once. A couple times we've heard that. People are recognizing him. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went in, villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. He's a God that heals. He's a God that restores. I love Jesus' words when he says, Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. That means nothing missing, nothing broken. Listen, as a Christian, that's how you need to see yourself. I'm living a life, and I'm making decisions and choices out of the wholeness of who I am in Christ. I'm not making decisions out of brokenness. No, I, make, I want to start and learn how to make decisions out of wholeness. Out of a life that is in Christ. Out of having a position that Christ purchased for me through the cross and through His resurrection. He's victorious, you all. And in Him, we can have the victory. In Him, as these sick people were, we can be made whole. Healed so that others will know and see that there is a God who loves them. Amen. Mm I want to close with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.